I will say this. I made this movie fearlessly and I've never, I've never, there were parts of American Sniper that I felt like I was fearless, but I've never, ever made anything with no fear. I mean, just listen to his music and just the way he lived his life. I was like, it, w- it wasn't going to work if the cinema wasn't brave. I, I just knew that there's just, he's too big. He lived his life in such a way that it, it had to be. It was what was called on. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, the lifelong relationship of Leonard Bernstein and Felicia Montalegra is chronicled in director Bradley Cooper's biopic, Maestro. The film tells the story of world-renowned American composer Leonard Bernstein and his decade-spanning journey with Felicia Montalegra. A love letter to life and art, their relationship is an emotionally epic portrayal of endurance, passion, and family. In addition to Maestro, Cooper's debut feature, 2018's A Star is Born, earned him DGA Award nominations for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in both the feature film and first-time feature film categories. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Cooper spoke with director Todd Phillips about filming Maestro. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Um, Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that everybody in here felt as I did about the film, which I just think it's it's staggering. Um, It's just an unbelievable achievement. And we're going to talk about it. But I did want to start because I was driving over here today and I, you know, I've known Bradley for 15 years. He's one of my closest friends. And I remember when we were doing the first Hangover movie, But I remember he would always, he hung around a lot and he never went to his trailer. And I remember thinking to myself, my God, this guy's like obsessed with me. What's the deal? And I remember I spoke to my mother. She goes, how's the new movie going? I go, it's good. It's coming along. I go, there's this guy in the movie, Bradley Cooper. I think he's like in love with me. He just is always next to me. And then I realized you were absorbing everything. Oh, because he was always asking questions and always... And it was all about this, really, where you were headed. And I'm really curious, because one thing, we, we've talked about everything, but one thing we've never talked about is when did you know you wanted to be a director? Like, when did you think, okay, this is... Well, I was in love with you. <laughs> Let's just, um, real quick, thank you for that. That was really special. And thank you. He never does this. This is massive. Thank you. <laughs> On a Sunday. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I thought about that recently because I knew, I always knew I had a leg up that I knew I wanted to do one thing as a young person, even though people would make fun of me growing up in Philly that, oh, he wants to be an actor. But I, I remember thinking, I don't know, it's kind of amazing that I know there's one thing I want to do and I'm so young. But the truth is, I didn't even allow myself to dream big enough that that one thing was actually being a director. And I didn't, because it was David Lynch 
even more than Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt that was what enthralled me and that would, would live inside me. It was the way that he made The Elephant Man or the way uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola made Apocalypse Now uh, or the way uh, Scorsese made Raging Bull. It was, it was, those were the people um, and it was the, 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 the making of film. Uh, but I didn't really even think that I... I, I just consciously didn't allow myself, and it wasn't until... Uh, but because of that, that was the reason. So from the first moment that I was lucky enough to be an actor in any sort of cinematic realm, which was really a Wet Hot American Summer, um, and, I, and I did the same, yeah. <laughs> and I did the same thing with David Wayne. I was just, I was there all the time, just because it was fun. Yeah. And I didn't know anything. <clears throat> what are all these cables? Where do they lead to? I don't understand what all the, the people carrying stuff. And um, check the gate. What the f*** does that mean? Um, really, I was like, this is what the people were speaking another language. It was just like this whole world. And, and, um, and by the time I got to you uh, many years later, um, you know, I was with, you know, a Titan and of course I just soaked, no, but really, and I just soaked it all up because old school, I, I still remember seeing old school and like, well, this is a masterpiece. No, really, if you go back and watch it, it's like, this guy's an auteur. And, That's the uh, first time anyone described old school as a masterpiece. <laughs> that, that is not Thank true. You. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> it really is just as the compositions in old school I knew. And then, you know, luckily Todd uh, didn't kick me away and, uh, and I stayed there. Oh, I loved it. I mean, loved, it. but he would always ask questions, not just of me, of the DP, but really of the process. And I did find it, I mean, I've had other actors that are interested in the process, but it's very different the way you approach it. And he really was like a sponge and it's just amazing to see that you've turned into such a formidable filmmaker. I mean, this is just unreal. I think this film is just blew my mind. And I've had the benefit of seeing this as you made it, of reading the script in many drafts and, and, and seeing it as you, as you made it. But when I sat down to watch it the other night, I kind of wiped all that stuff away and said, let me watch it for the first time. And I texted you at midnight and we ended up talking on the phone till about one in the morning about it. It really affected me. But let's talk about the genesis of it. Like why Leonard Bernstein and, and where did that start? It really, the, the thing that I've learned from doing movies is that you better have a huge boiler room filled with energy that can take you, sustain you through the entire process of making a film. In this case, it was starting at the idea, then writing it. And um, I always loved conducting as a kid. I would spend hundreds of hours. So I always felt like there's this, for whatever reason, uh, I knew there was this huge idea of a conductor. And then, and of course, because of that, I would always sort of imagine it. And in grad school, we had to write a, a monologue and I chose a conductor and wrote a, a monologue about it. <clears throat> so when Steven Spielberg was going to do a project about Leonard Bernstein, he had knew that obsession I had with fake conducting, by the way. <laughs> I didn't know anything about conducting <laughs> this. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and, and at that point I had just finished, I was, I was on the, I was coloring a, a star is born. And I really felt like I had found that thing that I knew when I was 11, that I'd actually finally, you know, got the, the courage to do. And I, I was like, this is, this is, I, this is how I'm wired. Isn't, I don't want to do anything else but write and direct movies. And, um, and I said to him, I don't really understand. Uh, are you really going to direct this? Cause he would always do have a couple of things. And then his, you know, depending how big his boiler room was for a project, he would then go on and do that. And it, it didn't seem like he was going to do this one. I said, can I, can I just, if you're not going to do it, can I take the project 
and restart to research and, and see if there's a point of view, some, a story that I think that I could tell. And that's how it started. He saw A Star is Born, and then he said, okay, yeah. And then I, we had to get the rights to the, to the music, which I didn't know, which was a whole other thing. But then I got to meet the kids, which was incredible. And then that's how it started. And it really was just uh, <clears throat> this, I kn- but, knowing that I had this huge obsession with conducting, and then it was just research, research. And then, then I was like, holy these, these people are incredible. But that just reminded me of a story that I know that they don't know, which is when Spielberg actually came over to you and told you, oh, you can direct this movie. Do you remember? Yeah, of course. It was like right in the scene where, uh, where Jackson Maine is sort of the Pied Piper with his guitar and she's going up the bowels of the Greek theater. And it's like the scene of the movie when they sing Shallow. And he's sitting over there and I see him in the periphery. Of course, my, all my energy is towards Steven Spielberg watching this movie. And he gets up. <laughs> in that moment crazy. I'm like this mother is going to the bathroom right <laughs> <laughs> and he gets him and he walks over and I'm like he doesn't even have like the respect go that way he's going to cross in front of me <laughs> I was like that is a gangster move dude <laughs> and he comes over and then he literally puts he's had a hat on and he like comes down and he's you know it's loud and I amped it up it was loud and he's like you're f-ing directing this movie and then he went and sat back down. And I was just like, holy that shit. That is a crazy story. I love crazy. that. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, let me back up because, so you also wrote the script with Josh. And, and, and I think that, you know, you watch this movie and you're so blown away by the directorial moves and the acting, obviously. But the script is also so delicate and so beautifully written. How, how, how much research did you have to do? I mean, a ton of research. It all came from the research. And, uh, and the, the hardest thing to write is dialogue. And, um, and the dialogue, the rhythm of the, 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 the melody of their voices, of their dialogue, that, that I didn't have to create because it was there as a primary source material. And in a way, it almost felt so much easier because the more I immersed myself and because I knew I was going to hopefully play Leonard Bernstein, then it started to come and, and, and scenes began to write themselves. And that was thrilling. And, and also, and that was the thing about, about making this movie that once I realized I wanted to make a movie about this relationship, and I always knew that I want to serve him, Leonard Bernstein, and the way that I could best serve him by not doing a sort of reg- normal biopic is it be scored to his music. Mm-hmm. So the rhythm of the movie and the, what I pitched to Netflix once I knew what I was going to make, because we had then everybody passed but Netflix, um, really Scott Stuber was the only one who believed in me. And I said, I want to make a movie about marriage and it's going to be what the movie will be symphonic in its rhythm and its cadence. It's going to be one musical element to his music primarily. And so that really was the way that it, it all started. And that's how I wrote the script with Josh. It was all through, you know, I knew, you know, on the waterfront was always going to be the opening. I saw that whole sequence five years ago and it actually didn't change at all to what we shot, which is also thrilling. And usually things change. That thing didn't change. And then also that symphonic dances. He hated, you know, it's like, not that I'm very proud of the hangover, <laughs> but there were years. Be there careful. Were years. Be, tread carefully. <laughs> All of them, by the way, not just one. <laughs> um, but there were, you know, seven or eight years where even friends of mine, but people are always like, you know, you're always going to be the guy from the hangover, you know, and, and in some ways, Leonard Bernstein, uh, you know, he loved West Side Story, but he did feel that like, I, I didn't just do West Side Story. So we want, 
I always knew that I wanted to treat that because it's about him, you know, in a way that I thought that he would enjoy. So we, I, that was a very fun scene to shoot where it's sort of having a little bit of fun that, you know, she's Bernardo at the top of the stairs. And instead of shooting through the chain link fence, it's a window that has those mullions. And, and then the kids are one gang. He's, he's sort of encroaching on this home as a gang. Now this new gang that she's not cool with at all, all to West side story that that was fun. So there was a lot. And also he brought so much joy and I knew that this movie had to have joy in it and brevity whenever, which I learned from him, by the way, you know, how to, how to really in, infuse comedy and in everything you're doing. You can tell I'm full of joy, uh, <laughs> but it is an interesting thing because I feel like with, with biopics and you use that word. And I think it's sort of a reductive word for a lot of films, but I always feel like when people have an issue with biopics, yeah, I, I see it even this year with Oppenheimer or with even Napoleon. I've been reading some things and you'll probably get it on this movie. They talk a lot about what, what the person left out, you know, like why did they leave that out? And, and, and I always think, God, that is a daunting thing, especially in somebody as colorful a life as, as Leonard Bernstein. How did you and Josh decide what to leave out? You know? Yeah. It was easy once I knew what the spine of the movie was going to be. And once I realized that the spine is th this relationship, the movie started to tell me what, what had to be left out. We wrote a whole sequence of the Young People's Concert, but that really was just a moment about seeing him teach. But we have him teaching William at the end of the movie, so that would be a repeated beat. So things start to would start to just fall to the wayside. And I always felt very confident with that because to me the most compelling thing was this relationship. And to the point of a biopic and like what I want to... I'm seeing a movie about somebody iconic or mythological. The whole point is how I, how can we as filmmakers create a story that we, the viewer can then relate to. And to me, the whole thing is about the end of the movie. My hope is you're watching actual Leonard Bernstein conduct and you're not seeing him as this sort of iconic figure, but you actually feel like, Oh, I know him. You know, and to me, that's the, that's the best thing I could do in terms of a biopic is that you actually felt like you got to know this person. Well, I think you did that, but also, and I spoke to you about this the other night, I've seen a lot of cuts of this film and Bradley is just as great as a writer he is, as amazing as an actor he is, as incredible as a director he is, he's a ruthless editor and I, in, in the best way. And, and the other night, really for the first time having watched it, I loved Lenny at the end in a way that I hadn't really before. And I don't even know, and we were, t you were telling me a little bit about some of the, some of the tweaks, but not only did I feel like I knew him, but I really loved him at the end. And I even saw that last scene of him in the nightclub in such a, through such a different lens. I just think it's, it's just tremendous. So I wonder, and this is I'm jumping ahead, but I wonder what his children thought of the movie. Um, I know you had to work with the family to secure all the rights and all that. And they were very involved when they see the movie now, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're super proud of it, but what do they, what do they think about how their dad? I mean, just, just to go back to real quick in terms of the editing, this was a really special experience. I've been so lucky to be in so many, I mean, I've spent hundreds of hours in editing rooms and any film, I mean, every actor should have the experience or writer. Cause that is, you learn so much about what you just need to get on the day. But this movie was really special because <clears throat> we weren't making the movie in the editing room in the sense of all the scenes that were shot, I, there's no coverage. There's, there's nothing on the cutting room floor. They're all structured musically. 
and for what I wanted to do in terms of the, the story, but cinematically, because I had the time. So the, the the most of my energy editorially was having already had the sculpture and how can we just land it? How could it all? And that was really fun. I've never had that. Usually you spend, you know, four weeks, five weeks just trying to make one scene work. And that never happened. It was, it, this is it. This is how we shot it. The transitions are in the script. And, um, and that, which I always love the, the, the thing I love most about being a filmmaker, I just love transitions. You know, they really are. That's like the most beautiful thing to envision and then actually execute. The children were a huge part of this movie from the beginning and they were a reservoir of, of information and stories and gave home videos and just hearing them being around them was infectious because they inherited the rhythm of their, of their parents, how they spoke. But I was also very keen to or aware that I wanted them to be a part of the process. I didn't want to just sort of hit them with the end of the movie after after six years of them giving me the rights to it. And then I think that would have been traumatic. Um, you have to ask them, but I'm pretty sure they feel that way. So they were a part of I would send them constantly send them drafts of the scripts on set. No one no one's there. Um, but then in post, I would send them clips. I had them come see, I don't know, four or five different versions of the film as I was, as I was carving it out. So by the time they got to the end, I, I think that they, well, I know what it was, you know, it's so crazy. A lot of this movie felt like Lenny was, was with me, but I showed it to my, I edited in my basement and, uh, in, in, in New York and they came down and I'm, I'm not kidding. You know, that scene, the clapping song when all the kids gather at the round and they're kissing their mother, you know, maybe the best scene in the movie, but I mean, there's a few that just blow my mind. That scene, of course, but the, the kids came around and it was, it was crazy. And we were all crying, holding each other at the end. Wow. Exa exactly like that. Wow. It was, it was really, I'll never forget. That's it. an interesting scene to bring up because is that something that happened? Maybe not the song, but is that a moment or is that something you and Josh kind of... No, I wrote that early on because my sister and I used to listen to that song all the time as a kid. And I really wanted that song in the movie because it's all about your mother, you know? And uh, I thought, I, it, so that was always in there that, that, that they, you know, that they have these things from, I wanted them to talk about their childhood and when the family was pre her illness and then for them all to come around. And I, uh, she would always cut her husband's hair. There's this great photograph of her cutting Lenny's hair. So I, and there was something so whacked about like she's dying and she's cutting his hair. Um, and, and then, so that was always in there. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned before about structurally and editing, you didn't have as many choices as one would think because of the way you shot it. What gave you the confidence really to shoot that way? I mean, that Thanksgiving day fight, um, it's unbelievable. And I know for a fact, there's no coverage because we've spoken about it. Where did that come from? That, that, that confidence and how did the producers and the people involved in the movie react, you know, honestly, you know, it was tough, <laughs> but ultimately I said to Scott Stuber, you, the only reason why he agreed to do it, cause I'm pitching a movie about a fluid male lead who only is a classical conductor and half of it is in black and white shot in 35 millimeter black and white stock. So there's no going back. Um, and he said, I'm just going to trust you. I see your enthusiasm. I'm going to trust you. Now that also, that took throughout the process, more conversations of me just saying, I, I got it, you know, but of course when they received dailies and there were three takes of that scene and that's it for the most important scene <laughs> of the whole movie really in turn, that's sort of one of the tent poles for their relationship. But, but to me, it was like, it wasn't, I wrote that scene four years ago. It, actually, Carrie Mulligan was one of the scenes when she, she did a screen test that she, that she did. Oh, so, yeah. so that, that scene was always alive. And I, again, it's like, what can you bring? 
where do I want the audience to be? There's a whole thread in this movie cinematically about public and private life. I didn't want to talk about it because I sort of talked about it in the stars born, but I wanted to be clear that these people are living in a public eye. So I wanted us at sometimes to feel voyeuristic, like we're not, we shouldn't be there. And that feels unsafe to me. And when my parents would fight as a kid, you know, I wouldn't be, and not much, my mom's here, barely fought. <laughs> 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 Never fought. I mean, when I imagined my parents fighting, <laughs> I would be very far away. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't looking at my mother and then turning around and looking at my father. And to me, if, I, if, if I'm watching a movie and that's happening, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm watching a movie. But if you put me far away, I don't know what's going to happen. And, I, and so that's why that was like that. And also, because it's such a heavy scene, early on I knew, I, you know, how do I undercut this with comedy? And so Snoopy always had to go by. And, and you can't go to close-ups, come back to the wide for the punchline, it won't be funny. Mm -hmm. I learned, you know, so I was like, well, we either got to do it or there's no joke. But, but not to get too granular, but this is the DGA. Is, did you guys, you and Carrie, rehearse that scene multiple times before shooting it? Did you? Well, we, because of the screen test, you know, we, we did, we did the scene, you know, in that scene, we were just sitting, I just had us sitting down talking to each other for the fight. Um, we did go over this. I do remember that day very clearly. And while we were just making sure everything was set up, she and I were in the back room. I said, let's just run the scene. Let's just, cause we knew it so well. Let's just talk it. Really. I just wanted to hear the rhythm of it. And I, I wanted to make sure that, it, that it was going to, cause I knew that it can't be too long because I wasn't going to cut. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just went in and it's so interesting, like tiny things. I, I didn't really, and I hadn't thought about this. She was originally in the first two takes sitting on the Ottoman. He, he walks in and there's a sort of chaise lounge and she, and an Ottoman and she wasn't in a powerful position and she was, it was vulnerable and it wasn't working. The whole point is she's lays into him. And then in the, I just said, what if you just sit up on the windowsill? And then when she did that, I was just looking in the frame and I was like, we changed the light. So she's haloed. And I was like, that was it. The minute she had that power and she's sort of receiving like a queen in the court. And then he wants to stay, you know, he's wait, he wants to get out of that frame, but he's like, I do want to drink. So he's got to go over and then, then retreat, you know, and, and then, and that was it. That was one take, bam. And it was done. And we, it was just beautiful because of her, you know, well, no, but, but because Every, of the actors, yeah. um, of which you were one, uh, but Again, I'm curious, maybe just, I think for a second film, the fact that Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg are watching dailies, maybe, does that... Maybe. maybe <laughs> you know, like I don't just, know, yeah. But yeah. the idea of it, does that send you into panic mode? And then when you turn over a scene like that, do you get a phone call from Steven saying, hey, great, but you covered it, right? Or you didn't, you know, is there ever any of that? You got to ask him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but um, I will say this. It, it, I made this movie fearlessly and I've never, I've never, there were parts of American Sniper that I felt like I was fearless, um, just tiny parts, but I've never, ever made anything with no fear. And I think because I had so many years to prep, but I really do believe it's because I was so clear that Lenny, who was such a brave I mean, just listen to his music and just the way he lived his life. I was like, I have to be, at, there's no version where I could tell this story if I don't have that same ferocious bravery. 
Um, and that, and as much as I felt alone on the process of this film, which was often, I, I always sort of came back to, he was there and, and I just, I just, it, w it wasn't going to work if the cinema wasn't brave. I, I just knew that there's just, he's too big. He lived his life in such a way that it, it had to be, it was what was called on. So I think that gave me the confidence and also honestly, the preparation. I just, I'd explored every other, I explored going on a 75 miller, even like a 110 and do like very, very like close overs kind of how I shot the test. I was like, that's not it. I know it's one shot. It's far away. It was, I always wanted the fight to be where I was when I was a kid. And, and, in, and in the end, I think he just helped me, you know, and I just did it. And, 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 and because I had a crew that just really was behind me and, and I never felt like they were like, oh, bro, what are you doing? You know, really, you know, and I, and, and by the way, I'm doing this like talking like Lenny. Do you know what I mean? So there's also that aspect. Well, I can't even imagine. <laughs> you know, I'm like, so I want to do the, da, 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 you know, <laughs> no, it's one shot. And, uh, yeah. but, sorry, did I ash on you? you know? But before we get to the crew, what about the other actors? Did Carrie ever say to you, but, but Brad, you know, I would like to, did, or did you sell around that idea too, of just, we got to be brave and this is how we're going to do I it. I think that because, um, she started working on it four years prior to shooting, right. by the time we got there, I, I, I feel you have to ask her, but I think she totally trusted me. To mm. Totally. She would just do anything. Yeah. An another scene in the movie that just reminded me, it's thinking of the other actors is, is with you and Maya, your daughter, when you basically lie to her forced to lie that scene just kills me um that's another example a girl like that are you rehearsing before that no i just i guess i keep asking i'm trying to figure out the secret yeah. because it all feels so effortless when i watch the movie and i know it isn't because i i've been through i saw the makeup tests i saw the camera tests i read 14 versions of the script but when I watch it, it feels so effortless. And I, I don't understand how you pull that off, honestly, still. And in a scene like that, so Maya is a perfect angel. She wasn't there for four years. Are you rehearsing with her? Are you getting her into that thing? I'm or? talking to her a lot, but not about the lines. Uh, and I, I, I definitely expect actors to show up knowing exactly the, their lines and what they're doing. And if they don't, it's not going to go well. It's just because the whole machine is going to break down. So I think there's that feeling. And I think they've, they're talking to the actors that have already worked knowing right. the rhythm, you know, but, uh, the key for me is to spend as much time on set before I invite the actors dialing in everything, like absolutely precisely so that I don't say action. You know, I sort of, you know, I was like, by the time we get to here and I have hand signals with Scott Sakamoto and Steve Mara, Scott Sakamoto, the a camera and Steve Mara, the sound mixer, when I want them to start rolling sound and speak, you know, so that, cause I, so that they just sort of feel like they're just walking right in. That's a funny scene though, because as a director, uh, someone asked a question about like, how do you act and direct and what's going on in your head? So in that scene, uh, you know, cause that's the one time where he has to lie. It's not a, it's not a movie about a deceitful husband. You know, he's very open about it and he only lies because she's asking him to. And in that scene, when I tell her, she says, is it, you know, is it true daddy? And he says, no, darling. And then she says, I'm so relieved. And we were in there and, and I'm, and, and it was as if Lenny was there. He's like, tell her the truth, dude. And, and if, I'm not kidding in my mind, I'm like, I, I got to tell her. And, and I start, and so I then started to think, well, it, this is happening in real time in the movie you just saw. He's going, 
well, if I tell her, then I gotta, I will, well, then I, there's gonna be a scene I have to write where Felicia is upset. <laughs> Honestly, and I, upset. So then what happens there? So then, well, by the, well, she's already upset, so then I don't have to compose, so maybe mass doesn't happen. So then when does the fight oh, happen? God, yeah. And then, and then and you see my head go like this, and then I go, up. Oh, and I'm like, let's go. That's really funny. <laughs> That's literally what was happening. What? <laughs> it was hilarious. I thought what you were gonna actually bring up is something we have spoken about off camera, which in some ways, you know, the idea of acting and directing, acting in a film that you're directing is, I don't know how you do it. But we talk sometimes a little bit, which I noticed because I was not on the set of this movie, but I was on the set a little bit for A Star Is Born. And I saw how Bradley as an actor would direct through performance. And in a weird way, it's cheat code. It's this amazing thing you're able to do because you're across from the actor. Mostly directors are behind the camera over there. They don't get to look them in the eyes. Can you speak about that a little, or is that just something that you, you do you even know you're doing it? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and I always feel like it makes it easier. You know, it's almost like the quarterback is also the coach. It, it, it's, I find it to be very, and you can economize time of a day and, and I could see where they're going and I can call an audible right away in, 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 in the, in the scene, um, or, or even sort of nudge them. And, you know, often, you know, I'll be doing the thing and, you know, it's out of frame, but I'm like this, you know, with the, you know, cause I want, I want, On you the know, camera, you're yeah, yeah, I'm like the mango, the dolly right. grip. I'm like, come in. Cause I like, you know, you know, so <laughs> which the actors got used to, I'm sure it was not amazing. They're like, what the f- my dad doing <laughs> what's my dad doing right now with his hand um but like but it happened quite a bit you know i, I always <laughs> another scene where, i mean and, and, it, and this is where it's also it has there's nice that there's levity in this very the scene where she's diagnosed with cancer um we had set up that shot it took forever uh and, and bernard kruger who actually is my doctor he's not an actor you know and we were losing it because he kept spending too much time wheeling in to her and he was and he just couldn't do it it was i was like bernard you got it here let me show you and then so he finally got up and then i was hugging her and i wanted him to push in and i don't know why but i felt like maybe mango wasn't pushing in because i'm i'm engulfing her and i said and we took it out but i'm like push in because <laughs> 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 you can see the camera starts to go back there's like Ma- mango is a dolly grip we both yeah, use who's, a, who's the, the best greatest. in the world yeah. yeah he's incredible and again i have to say the, the commitment from the crew i would get i got a text from scott sakamoto in the middle of the night, there was a scene that was used to be in the script that we that I decided not to shoot about the the, the movie was going to end in the graveyard, their their actual graveyards in Green Greenpoint Cemetery, and he was he had read versions of the script and he texted, "Don't you think we should shoot that?" That the, your a camera operator is texting you in the middle of the night because he's thinking about the movie. I mean, that is a privilege to have yeah. a crew that all is cares that much. I mean, well, I, and I, he just said we have five minutes, so I'll go. I'll, I'll, but to talk about the crew for a minute, I mean, you have a murderer's row of talent between Maddie and my favorite in the world, Mark Bridges, yes. and your production designer. Can you talk a little bit about how you worked with Maddie? Yeah. Well, Maddie, I, I I was so lucky that he did a Star Is Born. That Maddie's was like a DP. Matt, Maddie Libatique, um, and and he's yeah, he's incredible. 
and, and really willing to, um, we, did, we did years of tests and, and we, we A-B'd the black and white because we knew how difficult that was going to be to shoot on black and white uh, film stock. And we tested the red camera, the monochromatic black, desaturating color. And, and when we A-B'd it, it just, we, I, I couldn't achieve the same look. And I knew I wanted, the whole point is that I didn't want you ever to feel like you're watching actors in a time period, but just complete, be completely immersed. That's why it's that different, that one, three, three aspect ratio than, than goes to the wider many reasons mark bridges uh costume designer we are in awe of he does all paul thomas anderson's movies i I met him on silver linings playbook and his level of research you know he found this photograph of lenny like this with with his score of mass and that and that image was beautiful and that's what we put put that in the movie when he comes in like a little kid like look what i did yeah um and then kevin thompson the production designer who i i love love, jonathan glazer's like the king and um birth was a movie where i thought wow new york city that upper west side uh, he really cracked that and so i was so lucky kevin thompson came aboard and and steve morrow the only way we were able to film that overlapping dialogue was because of the way that we recorded the sound that he mics everybody so everyone in that entire scene had a lob mic on them and he's mixing and he's mixing it on the day so that because there's nothing worse than elise as an actor like can you just wait for them to talk i'm like what and and you can you can have this beautiful overlap and we wrote it that way too especially felicia and lenny the, the the melody with which they played so everything in my imagination was able to be executed because of this incredible crew all right he's telling me one minute give me one more which is Something we, and we've spoken about everything, but one thing we, I don't think we've ever spoken about is doubt and dread and that feeling when you're on set and you're on day 15. Do you ever get that where you're like, what the fuck have I done? Uh, did you ever get it on this movie? No. Wow. Amazing. You know, it's amazing. But real quick before we go, I just want to say one thing about the impact that, that, that you can have as, as directors on Hangover 1. <laughs> It's true. The movie ended and, and Todd wrote each of the three of us letters. And he wrote me a letter where he said, I, I wish you believed in yourself as much as I do, because there's many great things you can accomplish. And it, I kept that letter forever. Oh, I love that. Love that. On that, we will end. Thank you, everybody. And thank you for this film, which is just blow, blew me away. I loved it so much. And I love you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 